Well, I get it about uh, every four years. Uh, it's a bug, and it leaves uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, it's the World Cup bug. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten that fever yet. Uh, anybody watching the World Cup out there? It, there's something about soccer at this level, especially when it's countries, and, and maybe it's because the, the lack of goals that are scored, uh, when one actually happens, you're like, this is the greatest thing ever, Have you been watching, Teresa? No, you don't have the fever. You don't have it. All right. Well, anybody from Columbia here today representing in the World Cup? Yeah. There we go. Anybody, let's see, uh, from anybody representing Mexico for the world, in the World Cup? No. Uh, Robbie, I see that hand back there. That's right. Uh, who else? Any other countries represented today? Well, we're going to get to Puerto Rico. Is Puerto Rico in the World Cup? Costa Rica, <laughs> Costa Rica, uh, I know there's uh, some Honduras love somewhere, uh, but they didn't make it, they, they didn't get to the, you know where we're at now, the final of 16, Tuesday, big game for the United States, yes, you should take off work and watch it, and I'll give you permission, which means absolutely nothing uh, to do that, but it's a lot of fun just to see the excitement uh, of just the, the national pride, the, when people score goals, they just, it just comes out. It's just this, this natural joy uh, that happens. And I've kind of gotten into it the last uh, few games for the U.S. But I will tell you this, today we're going to talk about the greatest joy that you can get and have. I'm just going to give away the end of the story. You're not supposed to do that as a communicator. But the end of the story today is someone puts their faith in Jesus for the first time. And that, my friends, is good. That's amazing joy. That's something that we should be shouting about. In fact, it says the, the, the heavens rejoice, and there is a party, a celebration when someone comes to know the Lord. It should be not just go. I mean, there just should be that kind of joy that comes out of God's people when, come, when someone comes to know the Lord. That's the end of the story. We're going to get there in a few minutes. But if you've been with us, we're in the book of Acts. You can grab your, your Bible. And uh, we're in this series, The Church on the Go, and it's all about the church, uh, the first beginnings of the church, and what Jesus was doing through the Holy Spirit, through his people. And uh, there's a couple of statements that really are at the heart uh, of what's happened. And Jesus, at the end of Matthew, remember this in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given unto me, and I'm telling you to go and do what? Make disciples of all men. He's, go make disciples of everyone. And then he, he backs that up in, in the first chapter of Acts. The, the disciples, they don't always get it. They don't always get it. And so they're always kind of thinking a little bit too small-minded and a little too self-focused. And so they're always asking Jesus, even after the resurrection, he's at, they're asking him things like, Lord, has the, the time come for you to free Israel well, Jesus has been preaching this whole time about the world, this kingdom. It's big. It's huge. And they're thinking, us, us. And I'm sure Jesus rolled his eyes. And then he left us with this statement. It's a powerful statement. I want us to read it together. It's Acts 1.8. Maybe you remember it from uh, Bible quizzing days. And it's this. But you will receive, can you say it with me? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're a note taker today, 
it would be great if you want to write down the, the word Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then at the ends of the earth. And maybe you can fill in some things along the way. But there's these four locations. They're kind of odd in there. We're going to get to that in a second. But as we've been looking in, in Acts and going through several uh, chapters now, we've seen what the Holy Spirit, it, when, it, when it came upon the church, amazing things happened. People were healed, not just physically, but spiritually they were healed. And there was this revival, this awakening that was happening uh, throughout the city of Jerusalem. Thousands were coming to know the Lord. And uh, we, we've seen how God was working. Last week, Pastor Michelle uh, she preached with us to, the, to us uh, about uh, Stephen and Stephen's story and about how he shared the gospel and what happened to him. He actually was the first martyr of the church. Now, up to that point, I mean, there had been threats. People had re actually received beatings for the gospel. They had been jailed. But this was the first time someone was actually killed for the faith. And so what happened? And that's where we are today in Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 8 uh, says this to us. Saul was one of the witnesses to and agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So, so that's kind of a foreshadowing for where we're going in the future. But it says this, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Sound familiar? We'll get there in a sec. But the believers were scattered throughout the region. There was persecution and there was the scattering. Can I tell you something? It, it's a known kind of discussion topic that when persecution happens in a certain place, the gospel, more Christians actually come from a time of persecution than a time of peace for the church. I wonder why that is. In fact, think about this. In China right now, there is a huge spiritual awakening happening in China. It's one of the hottest places for the gospel to be preached and taught in communist China, where actually the official religion is atheism. And there's, in 15 years, they're projecting that China is going to be the, the most Christian nation in the world. Think about that. Think about that. Now, I want you just, in your mind, why do you think that is? Why do you think persecution results in conversion or people's lives are changed? Think about that. Share that, just your theories real quick with your neighbor real quick. That's your discussion question this morning. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Ponder your theories with your friend, your neighbor, whoever's beside you. There. Why do you think persecution brings conversion? Maybe it's a good discussion question for us as we are, are thinking about our nation right now. And as we get to a place of, of darker, uh, just the darker climate in our, in our country. Uh, one thought, Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph, his brothers? He's sold into slavery. He's the, the guy with the, the colorful jacket. Gets thrown in a pit, sold into slavery. Has this crazy story about how his brothers really or out to get him, he ends up going and becoming actually one of the kings, the second in command to the kingdom. His brothers show up. He doesn't even, don't even realize it's him. And, and what happens? 
instead of being a person that could have been vengeful, he instead says this statement in Genesis 50:20. He says, "As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive." God has this way of taking things that were meant for evil and bad in our world, and he can take it and make it good. That's an amazing quality of of our father. I love the way Max Lucado says this. And and thinking about that passage, he says, when you meant it for evil, what the meant word, kind of the heart of that word means you you meant to weave it. You meant to weave it. What Satan meant to weave for evil, God reweaves together for good. He takes it apart and makes it good. And that's what the, really the heart of what's happening here. What the evil one meant to destroy the church, persecution. They, Saul was going into homes. He was taking out Christian families, and he was putting them on display for all to be shamed and then put into prison. But the opposite result was happening. The gospel, the church, was growing even more, even more. And that's the amazing thing about our God. So let's, let's keep looking. Let's keep, keep reading. For Judea and Samaria, okay? Let's, let's get a visual as we're getting ready to, to read. Let's throw a map up if we can. For those who are not super familiar with uh, the Middle East, there we go. Uh, uh, it's a little blurry. Now I'm going to use your imagination. You see the middle section up there? That's Samaria. Wow, super blurry. That's okay. Uh, this is supposed to be a camel down there. That's Judea, Judea, Samaria. And in the middle of all that blurriness is Jerusalem. Uh, it's hard to see. Sorry about that. But that's kind of the landscape of what's happening in Israel to get your, your minds uh, there this morning. 8, 4, and 5 says this. But the believers were scattered and they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. So, who do we have here? We have Philip. Now, we know this. This is not the Philip of the disciples. He was not one of the 12. He was not one of the big 12. In fact, they stayed back in Jerusalem for whatever reason. But Philip, not, he, in fact, if we look in, in chapter 6, this is the same Philip that was put in charge of the food distribution, the food bank. And Philip is scattered. And where does he go? To, he goes to Samaria. I, was, uh, I heard a sermon by Dr. Dwart, our GS, this last week. And he kind of made a, a soccer reference. And he talked about the game with the U.S. and Portugal. I don't know if you saw that. But Portugal, the, uh, probably the second best player in the world, maybe the first, Ronaldo plays for Portugal. And it was a, a tight match. We ended up tying. But he, he made this statement. I think it's a powerful one. He said this. Portugal has a great player, but the United States has a great team. Portugal has a great player, but the United States has a great team. And that's the story of the church. We're not about great players. We're about a great team. That's the story of our church, this church here, that we're called to be a team, a force for the gospel. And that's where Philip is. He's taking the message to Samaria. Now, maybe you remember Samaria. Maybe that jumps in your mind. What are some stories that we know about Samaria in the Bible? We know about the good Samaritan. and That's that story where this, the, the hero in the story turns out to be the Samaritan guy that helps the person that's hurt on the, on the road. You remember that. But to hear the word Samaria, 
and Samaritans, there was a conflict that was happening from Jerusalem to Samaria. There had been a conflict, actually, for a long time. You see, the southern kingdom, that's where Jerusalem is, and that, that location of Israel. And then there's the northern kingdom, that's where Samaria is. For a while now, going back to the 8th century, there was this conflict. There, the people were pulled out. They were, uh, they were captured by the Assyrians. And what happened was the Samarians in that area of the country, or that area of the land, they were, some were taken away in captivity, and some were left behind. And those that were left behind, there were some Assyrians that were left as well. And so the Assyrians are there, the Samaritans are there, and what happens? They begin to intermeet, intermarry. And for those in the southern kingdom, this was a taboo. And so suddenly everyone in the north, you're not pure Jews. And they became outcasts. I'm just old enough to remember when I was a kid growing up in Alabama, I remember the whispers, even the stares, when an interracial couple would come into a restaurant. Do you remember? I mean, it seems like a long time ago now. But I remember just sometimes even a point. This wasn't from my family. In fact, this was one of the main reasons we, we moved. But the whispers, the stares. But this was even more blatant. This was like, let's cross onto the other side of the road because we don't want to even be close to you. I don't know if you have any of that in your upbringing. I don't know if you were brought up to a certain degree where you, there was a group of people that were lesser than. Maybe that's, maybe that's black people. Maybe that's white people. Maybe that's Jewish people. Maybe that's poor people. Maybe for you, maybe that's been a history with women. And there are a group of people, and it's not really spoken, but it's just there. Maybe some whispers of not as equal in our minds and our hearts. That was was not just presence, non-verbal. It was verbal, and it was known. And so when Philip goes to Samaria, something happens there. He begins to preach the gospel. He begins to preach the gospel, he begins to share, and people in Samaria become Christians. They come to know Jesus, and it breaks out all over the whole land, and word gets back to Jerusalem. Peter and John find out about it, and they get sent to Samaria and are just a part of this great spiritual renewal. And you will be my witnesses. And where? Jerusalem. Judea. Now, Judea is just the country or just around, the area around Jerusalem. And then Samaria. Samaria. I wonder what Samaria represents in, in your life, in our life. Hmm. We keep going. There's a, uh, there's a picture that I saw this week, and it was posted on a blog, and uh, it's a picture of a memorial, and it's a gentleman by the name of Samuel Whitmore. I don't know if we've ever heard of Samuel Whitmore, but he's from the great state of Massachusetts, and uh, during the Revolutionary War, uh, he did something pretty memorable. He was in a field one day 
when the British and British soldiers were, were, were coming in to help this retreat group. And so they were kind of sneaking through this field. And Samuel Whitmore, who at the age of, I think it was 78 or 80 years old, is in his field. He's working the field. And suddenly he sees these British soldiers. And he happens to have his musket with him. And uh, he pulls the musket out and he shoots one of them behind the wall. And then another one approaches. He happens to have his pistol on him. He was able to shoot another. After the, I guess you got one shot on each of these things, uh, he pulls his knife out and is able to get into a knife duel and kills another one, 80 years old, okay? You're reading the story, you're like, yeah, man, <laughs> whoo, it's impressive. Uh, and uh, finally, someone uh, stabs him and stabs him multiple times. He gets shot in the face, ouch, uh, and he's laying there on the field in a puddle of blood but he survives. He survives. And he actually is, becomes the hero, official hero of the state of Massachusetts. All right? Now, there's this picture in the story about on the blog. And then someone comments underneath the story. And you're reading it, and you're like, man, that's like, that's like Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris was around. Okay? And uh, you're reading the story, and someone makes this comment. Would, we post the, would you post the picture, and it was actually a teenage girl, would you post the picture if the three people that had died in the story were American? And that silence is kind of the silence of the blog that was kind of, wait a second. But you see, that, that's us, and that's them. There's an us and a them factor with that. Do you sense that? But here's the deal. There's no us and them in the kingdom. There is no us and them in the kingdom. Who is, who is the them in our world? Maybe who's the them in your world? But Jesus is saying, hey, this gospel, this kingdom of God, it wipes out. It's just an us. It's just, it's just an us. And there are people who need to know about Jesus and the good news about him, us, and them. There is a student by the name of Muhammad. And Muhammad, uh, he, he grew up in, in Pakistan. And uh, we've gotten to know Muhammad just a little bit, little bit in the last couple of years. And uh, Muhammad uh, actually grew up with a very uh, a tough up Muslim upbringing. And uh, he described to me just the, the place he went to school was just very rigid. And uh, he, he kind of compared it to some very uh, negative uh, Catholic upbringings with nuns. And I don't know if you have any of those stories in your repertoire of nuns that were just very... Uh, did anybody go to Catholic school? Eh, there, you shake your head. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> there we go. And uh, just involved, if, if you didn't do the right thing when it came to the Koran, there was physical punishment that came. Physical punishment to the point of blood. And just bringing, being brought up in that oppressive atmosphere. There was a, a school teacher in his life that began to tell him of another way. Another way. Another story. Another narrative. Muhammad moved 
to the United States. And he actually became friends with a swim teacher, a parent of someone in our church. Muhammad went to winter retreats two years ago. And at that winter retreat, Muhammad became a Christian. He converted. Now, you can just kind of go through your mind what that means in a Muslim family. That's, that's pretty intense. I mean, we talked about persecution at the beginning. I mean, let's be honest, folks. We don't know about that kind of stuff. Um, and Muhammad has so given his life to Christ, he actually went to SNU last year, Southern Nazarene University in Bethany, Oklahoma. Pretty amazing stuff. There's no us and them in the kingdom. So, Acts 4.26, let's keep going. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. An angel of the Lord shows up on the scene. Now, don't you wish it was that obvious sometimes with God's will? I mean, what if it was, it was just that easy all the time? An angel shows up and says, go this way. I need that in my life, okay? I just need some obvious things because maybe I'm just slow with God sometimes, but I just need obvious, all right? We have a couple of obvious signs uh, that are, I love signs and just funny signs. Here's some just kind of obvious signs that are, man, we just got the, oh, I'll have to describe them to you. It's okay. Uh, press seven for the seventh floor is what this sign says here. All right, press, I don't know if you know, there's actually a character, Captain Obvious, uh, that's a, Cap, yeah, never mind. Uh, Captain Obvious. Uh, you got Pizza Hut. We have pizza. <laughs> Captain Obvious there. All right, we have, uh, this is at Petland, Hairless Rat, the ones with no hair. <laughs> Apparently, hairless rats are pretty, I would think they would be just giving these things away, but they're like $24.99 at Petland. Caution, please be aware that the balcony is not on the ground level. And you know that they put these signs there for a reason, all right? Someone has done something. That, I don't even, you don't even know what floor that is, but it's dangerous nonetheless. Uh, oh, you can't see it. It says sand. On the side, it just says sand. It's in the middle of a desert, sand. Brutal, brutal, all right? If door does not open, do not enter. Thank you. Thank you very much, Captain Obvious. Uh, and then this one, don't sit on the fence. <laughs> I just noticed this, but the uh, discolored one, uh, spike in the middle, I don't even want to know what happened there. <laughs> but our minds certainly can wonder. Uh, keep going there. And this is for Andy Newman today. Uh, There you go. By the, by the way, I think this is Avery Newman's first day ever in church. Is that correct? Three weeks old today is, man, that's awesome. What a, uh, I'm sure that you want everyone to line up afterwards and see you, right? I'm sorry. But it's great to have Avery with us today in church. A uh, couple others maybe. 
says this. Oh, I have to read it. It says, uh, caution. It goes on and on and on. It's basically on a, uh, an iron, and it says, do not iron while wearing the shirt. Uh, sometimes if you have just a little crease or something, you know, you can just, pair. all right, let's go to another one. Now, this was a couple of weeks ago. Did you, anybody see this? And I, I hate to bring this out. I don't want to point out any negatives about anyone, but this is like the, the puzzle, the fast puzzle there, and uh, the, the letters come up. Well, one of the contestants, who I won't say which one it is, uh, chimed in to guess what this answer is, and this person said, surf clay where we go. <laughs> it's a song lyric. A, yeah, okay. You, you got it, don't you? Surf city, here we get. Yeah, you have that look on your face, Michelle. I don't know if that's... It was the guy. I'm just going to give it away. It was the guy, okay? He's the one that couldn't get it. But Surf City, here we come. But sometimes things are obvious, and they're pretty obvious there, but sometimes they're not so obvious. I mean, can we be, can we be honest? Sometimes God's will is, is not so obvious, or sometimes the obvious doesn't seem so obvious. I've had several experiences in, in ministry now for a uh, for a while, and sometimes I just get to be on the sidelines, and that's nice. I, several years back, I remember being in the pastor's office when a couple came in, and they declared loudly and proudly that the affair that they were having was the will of God. I'm kind of glad that I wasn't the one to answer that day, because it's kind of one of those moments where you go, what? What? But you know what? When you're in the middle of things sometimes, the obvious becomes a little blurred. It becomes a little blurred. We know one thing's for sure. God does not contradict his word. Okay? That is our surefire authority, foundation of who we are. So if you're in a, a tough situation, you're trying to discover where God is leading and what he has is right and wrong, what is his will? He is not going to contradict this book. He actually gives us a little, another clue in chapter 8 as we go a little bit further. And it's, or we take a few steps back. There was this character, Simon. He was a sorcerer. And he could do magic tricks. Think David Copperfield of Samaria. Okay? And the people were amazed at these tricks. And because of these tricks, he grew in popularity. And people knew his name, and they called him great names. Well, the disciples show up. The Spirit of God is moving. People are being healed. He gives his life to Jesus, but he says this. Hey, I'm seeing what you're doing. You're giving this gift of the Holy Spirit. I kind of want some of that. I, I want that gift. In fact, he approaches the disciples, and he says, hey, how much money does it cost to get this? And what's Peter's response in verse 20? May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Your heart is not right with God. And that murkies the water when our hearts are not right. Oh, Lord, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Maybe that's the prayer we need to go to the Lord when we're discerning his will. God, purify my heart. I want what you want. Well, the, 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 it's obvious here in the story what God wants. 
He wants him to go down to the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. An angel has shown up, but it is sort of strange. And sometimes God's will is a little strange, and this is why it's strange. It's about 50 miles away in the opposite direction. 50 miles away from Samaria, where the revival, the, the spiritual awakening is happening, and Philip was a part of that, and suddenly Jesus, God is the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, we want you to go the opposite direction. We want you to go to this place that a city that actually is abandoned, it's been abandoned for 100 years and wasn't going to be rebuilt for another 30. We want you, I want you to go that direction, and uh, there's no other instructions there. And so even when an angel shows up, it still feels a little, what? You want me to do what? You want me to go where? Me? These questions kind of jump into our minds sometimes when we're, we're, we're juggling what God's will is. And so he starts out, and he, and he meets the treasurer of Ethiopia, the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, which back then, Candace was just the general name for the queen of Ethiopia, like Pharaoh for Egypt. There were just a lot of Candaces then. She's the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Here's another kind of those obvious situations. Uh, if you see someone and they're reading the Bible, and they have an inquisitive look on their face like someone help me, that might be God speaking to you to do something. Uh, I was in a restaurant actually two weeks ago, preached here, and I got to go to RTA Colorado, and I was in a, in a restaurant. Uh, Father's Day night, I was going to go meet our team up at the RTA Lodge. I drive from Albuquerque to, to Pagosa to meet the crew, and uh, I hadn't got a chance to talk to my dad yet, So I, and I wanted a one last really good meal before we had the RTA uh, adventure for the week. So I pull in the first place. Actually, I got to see two bears on the road, which was crazy. I, they were just sitting in the road eating trash, and I slammed on the brakes, go back, and all I can get is like the backside of one of them with my phone. I'll show you that picture later if you'd like. Uh, but I drive into town looking for a meal. I want to just stop, call my dad, tell him I love him, happy Father's Day. And so I go into the restaurant, order... And I start this conversation with the waitress. It's, it's about five till nine. They're closing at nine. The waitress just keeps coming back to my table, and there's no one there. And even though I'm on the phone, she's trying to have a conversation with me. And so I'm talking to dad. I'm talking to the waitress. Eventually, my, my conversation with dad ends, and she kind of just pulls a chair up at my table. I don't know if she just, I look like a lonely person that's out there. But I am at a restaurant by myself on Father's Day. So she pulls up this chair and just starts to talk about her family, her life. And uh, I kind of was taken back. I wanted to get to the lodge. And Captain Obvious kind of was missing it at first here. And uh, she starts to talk about, hey, are you a father? She starts asking me these questions. I said, yeah, I talked about that. Well, well, what about your father? Have you talked to your father today? I said, No. I haven't, uh, I haven't talked to my father. Uh, and uh, she said, actually, my father was a minister. I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. And uh, so that went that way. And said, my father, uh, 
because of his addictions, and she didn't say what, um, he, he really just abandoned uh, me and my, my, my family. And I've been in the, I, was in the, I was in the adoption system, the orphanage system, and uh, so I, I really don't have a relationship with my dad. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And she, well, tell me about your life now. And I said, oh, I have three kids. And it's very young. And uh, I have three kids. Oh, really? Do they live here in Pagosa? And with you, I mean, where, where, where are you guys? Just kind of general questions. No, um, they're in the foster care system too. I lost, I lost all three kids for different reasons. Okay. Um, but I, I'm trying, she goes into this, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to go back to school. I'm trying, I'm working here. And, and it just was one of those just situations, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those just God orchestrated things where you just bring people together. And I'm searching, God, help me what to say here. And uh, so I'm trying to speak, uh, just, just encouraging her about life and other things. And I, I go to get ready to pay. They're locking up, and it's, it's time to go. And as real as I'm talking to you right now, I just knew God was speaking to me. I needed to, just to say something to her more profound. And I just looked her in the eye as best as I could just said, hey, I got to tell you, God has got a second chance in life. And he, he can give your dad a second chance. He can give you a second chance. And he is in the business of restoring and redeeming people. And I want that so badly for you. And I wish I could tell you that in that moment that we <laughs> knelt down in there and it was just an angelic moment. But, you know, sometimes it's a seed. Sometimes it's watering. And I don't know what happened to Erica or where, where, where it's going to lead her. But I know God put us together for that moment. And, and I think God puts us together in places, in moments. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This, this gentleman, this Ethiopian, he's from a long way away. In fact, Ethiopia, which we know is Sudan, it was the southernmost point of the world back then. It was the ends of the earth. It was the ends of the earth. That was like the farthest point that they knew. And what happened? What happened? He showed up. And this gentleman, he actually had gone to church. He'd, he'd left Ethiopia, had gone to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. But we know something about the story. We know that because of who he was, he was a eunuch. Now, I don't have any pictures for this this morning, uh, thankfully. But that basically, he was castrated. And he chose to be castrated. That seems, that's a, hmm. Um, well, why would anybody choose that? Okay. Well, back then, when you worked for the queen, one of the, the parts of the job was you volunteered to be castrated. Why? Well, the king was too important to do any work, okay? Too important to do any work, and so the queen was basically in charge of everything. She would hire people to do different jobs, and very important jobs, well-paying jobs. This was a very wealthy man. But a part of the job was you had to be castrated. Because the king didn't want 
a whole bunch of young males hanging out with the wife. Okay, get the picture here? So he made an active choice to do this. Well, if you're a eunuch, you're not allowed in the temple. You're not allowed in church in Jerusalem. I wonder if he knew that. I wonder if he took this long pilgrimage, a very long pilgrimage, no cars back then, no trains, to get to Jerusalem, and he was denied. You, you can't come in. You're, you're one of them. He's coming back now, and he's reading the scripture. And Philip asks, uh, do, you, do you know what you're reading? And he, what does he say? How can I know if there's no one to tell me? And I wonder, I just almost hear it in his voice. I tried, I tried, but no one, no one was willing. I, I got to go in the last couple of uh, months, I've gotten to go to different churches for different circumstances and uh, to visit. And I got to tell you, there's some churches out there that are they're on top of, they, top of it, they get it. They, they see that people are seeking God and they're doing everything they can to invite them into the kingdom. But there are some churches, we, we went to one church, I'm going to be honest, and I won't tell you the name, they could care less if we were there. They were having a great time over there, but they really just didn't notice, Melanie and I. And it was, we just kind of drove around everybody, sat down, and I kind of, I think I'm going to, if I, just a second career, secret shopper, and uh, just shopping in churches and giving reports, and guys are snobby, and all that. But I read something recently, and I love this, this, this quote. The sermon starts in the parking lot. The sermon starts in the parking lot. And what happens in the first 10 or 15 minutes, it tells the story, folks. Some of the most important people, the most important people maybe we have in ministry are the people that are in the parking lot, that are greeting people as they're coming in. Because we want this place, we want this to be a place that is welcoming, that is drawing people in to the kingdom, that we are actively, and this isn't just the pastor's job, this isn't just the greeter's job, this is our ministry, this, maybe this is our Jerusalem, this is our Jerusalem, this is the temple, maybe Judea is the, the, the small, the, the small circles in your life, the people of influence that are around you, in your world, we have a community that we have influence over, but you have a circle of influence in your life, don't you? What if God has put you right where you're at right now in this season for a reason? The people in your lives, your family members, your people you're working with, people you're jogging by, people you see in Starbucks every time you go into Starbucks because you go 10 times a week. Uh, What if that's you? Maybe those people that you're giving the head nod to, they're in your life for a reason. And God's put them there. Are we aware? Are we available? Are we listening? Judea, Samaria, who is the Samaria? Who are the people in your life that you're like, hmm. And then we have the ends of the earth. A eunuch who was an outcast, who had a label, and he chose that label. They're labels that we have all over society, some that are given and some that we give ourselves. There's this verse, I love it, it's in Ephesians 6, 9, and 11. 
Do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? But don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or adulterers, a lot of labels in this here passage, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's no good. And that is what you once were. That is who you once were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Labels, addict, gossiper, liar, failure, prostitute, racist, abuser. What labels have you had on your life? Here's the good news. Our God is the God that does the impossible. He's the one that wipes off the labels. He's the one that reaches to desert roads to far away places, and he reaches out for us. And he reaches out for you, no matter where you are in your life. And what was he reading that day? Isaiah 53, 4 through 8. Just like, just randomly found, I don't know if he just like scrolled through, it was like, just a random scripture. What could this scripture possibly be about? Well, let's back up a couple verses and read it. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left the God we have left God's path to follow her on. That's all of our stories, folks. We've all left the path. We've all strayed from God. We are all sinners. We all have labels. And those labels come off in the kingdom of God. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. He was oppressed and he was treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter as a sheep that was silent before the shears, but he did not open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned and he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. This is all about the cross. This is all about Jesus. This is all about a God that would come down to earth and die for us. That is what our God does. He does the impossible. He does the impossible, and he does that through us, through us. What happens that day? Ethiopian hears the good news through Philip, and he gives his life to Jesus. And he says, hey, there's some water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Just another obvious kind of pastor moment. Uh, nothing. Let's, let's, why don't you get baptized? That's a good thing. Let's do it. And so he gets out and gets baptized. Philip goes away. And then something happens here, something even bigger. We don't hear the story of what happens to this Ethiopian eunuch, but we know this. Studies tell us that about 63, 65% of indigenous Ethiopians are Christians. And it can be traced to one person in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. The impossible. The person that's the impossible. Wow. Wow. God's got a big plan going on. And he goes 
local, and he goes worldwide. He's global, folks, and he does the things that seem like they can't be done. This morning, we have the opportunity to go to the table. The worship band is coming, and, and we want to give you a, some options to respond uh, to God's word this morning. Maybe this morning, as, as we've been uh, just kind of diving into the word, maybe you know an impossible person in your life, a person that it just seems like there's no way, there's just no way, okay? There's just no way. Uh, time got away from us, but uh, there's a, a guitarist from the group Korn. I don't know if you know the, the group Korn. It's a heavy metal band from, it's been around for about 20 years now. Pretty dark and evil stuff. Brian Welch, uh, you, can, you can check it out. I am second video testimony. His story is powerful, man. He, he just totally radically gave his life to the Lord and left this band because his real estate agent did what? Shared the gospel to him one day. The impossible. And you see this guy tatted up, hair, every, I mean, just like in, in, the, in the pit, that place where you're like, man, how did I get here? And, and I don't know if you know someone that's in a place like that today. And to be honest, you just need to, and maybe it's super personal for you. Maybe it's a prodigal child or a relative, and you just need to cry out to Jesus and say, God, I pray for the impossible. Maybe it's people, these names, and you're, they've jumped into your mind in your circle of influence, the people that you see every day. Maybe that you know God is pressing you, and you just need to take that first step of obedience and have a conversation. Maybe you want to give that to the Lord today. Maybe, if we're honest today, maybe you're the impossible. And maybe you're saying in this, this, this conversation, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done. You don't know who I've hurt or what I've said or how I've, how I've ruined lives. I can't be forgiven. This Jesus is great but I just don't think you can. God is a God of second chances. He's a God of the impossible. He's the God that's reaching out to you today. He's saying this, I love you. I came to set you free. I came to give you forgiveness. I came to give you a life with purpose. I came to redeem you and to restore you. And I've come to take what was meant for evil make it good. So maybe today is the day that you need to say, God, I love you, and I'm going to take a step of, of faith today. It's a place for you here at the altar. Today, a place of grace. We're going to come to the table as well. As we look at these elements, we cannot help but think what the man of sorrows did for us, this place of grace and love. I'm going to serve a few folks, and then we're going to pass the cup down. We receive grace, and then we give grace. This call, this ministry, this to go is not solely on my shoulders, folks. We got a team of people that are on a mission, a mission in this world, and it's your, it's your calling.
share that grace with others. So I'm going to give to a few. And when you receive the elements by intention this morning, would you take a, a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup? You take and you remember. Then you're going to take the elements and you're going to serve the next person that comes. So, the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took a cup and he took some bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you so you can be redeemed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we have. And uh, Lord, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of conversations in hearts and heads right now, God. And, and Lord, I, we just pray for courage this morning. Lord, I pray for courage that, that someone would take a step this morning. Maybe there's just a heavy burden on their heart. And there's a name, there's faces that have just been swirling through their minds. And God, there are some situations that just seem, they seem impossible. But we refuse to believe that because we know differently. We know that you are a God of the impossible. And we lift up names and we lift up hearts. And I pray for that one that needs to make a step of faith today and to begin that journey of faith right here, right now, this moment. God, we thank you for the elements that we're about to take. We remember what you've done and we are grateful these things in your name. Amen. The worship band's going to sing, respond as the Lord is, is speaking to you today.